Welcome back to Story Behind the Scare, a series on my personal journey into the horror genre. Every episode, I will discuss the movies, or in the case of last week's episode, TV shows that allowed me to journey safely from Scaredy Cat to someone who watches a lot of horror. <laughs> I don't know, I can't think of a pun there, which is unusual for me because I love a good pun. As always, I remind you that I have really only been watching horror for about a year now, and I know I have a great deal to learn, but what I lack in experience, I think I make up in passion. This episode, I will dive further into writer, director, genius Mike Flanagan's IMDb and discuss his take on two Stephen King pieces, Dr. Sleep and Gerald's Game. Again, I'm slightly cheating because I did watch The Shining beforehand so I could watch Dr. Sleep, but believe me, there is a whole Stephen King spiral that I will dive further into that. Dr. Sleep is the 2019 sequel to The Shining, directed and written by, you guessed it, Mike Flanagan. Ugh, what can't this man do? I mean, seriously, wait till I talk about his earlier work. <laughs> in the film, the kid from The Shining, Dan Torrance, played by Hugh McGregor, is now an adult and protecting a young girl who is being hunted by the True Knot, a cult where they feed on children for their ability to shine. One of the things that struck me first about this movie was how much of a love letter it was to the OG Shining. It even took some of the shots and recreated them, such as the infamous bloody elevator scene, which it digitally recreated to account for perception shift based on the character. As well as some of the exterior shots of the winding road up the overlook. Having read The Shining, it was nice to see Flanagan marry the worlds of Stephen King's version of The Shining, as well as Stanley Kubrick's, which is pretty well known that King did not like. Well, I didn't really like the movie that much. And I understand some of his grievances, but again, we'll, we'll chat later. For someone just dipping their toe in the horror genre, this movie really didn't rely too heavily on gore or jump scares, though the hand mangling was something that definitely made me cringe. I remember turning to my roommate and being like, I just I feel like he has this thing for screwing up hands, only to learn that this is like a well-known fact. Anyways. <laughs> While the movie doesn't depend on what are stereotypical horror scares, it does instead work to create a creepy mood and atmosphere. Similar to the Haunting of Hill House series, Flanagan really puts a strong emphasis on making sure that creepiness drives itself deep into your bones. For example, there is a scene with Rosa Hat, who like, I'm obsessed with because this actress is absolutely utterly fabulous, where she talks to this little girl and almost... <clears throat> While seduces is the wrong word, it still feels like an accurate way to describe what she does to this little girl. Rose the Hat just exudes seduction, so while the interaction with the little girl isn't sexual, it's hard to think of another word to describe it for me when it comes to Rose the Hat. Eventually, she leads the little girl into what ultimately be her premature death. And it's this combination of innocence with the children and the horror with the adult that will inevitably invoke some sort of emotion, leaving you almost like an open wound waiting to be infected by the creepiness of the movie. I mean, I could talk for days about how the movie really does just build up this suspense with this tense atmosphere, but what I loved about the movie was again how it had some seriously relatable horrors that were thinly veiled within the narrative. Learning this was a thing in horror, again, mind-blowing. So it's no secret that Dan Torrance unfortunately inherited more than just a last name from his father. He unfortunately also battles with alcoholism. And while he tries to lock it up, similar to the way that Dick Halloran told him to lock up his overlook horrors in compartmentalized boxes, it becomes apparent that through the narrative, we can only lock up our demons for so long before we are forced to face them. And while sure, the Grady twins were a physical horror that's best locked up and ignored, 
The emotional horror he faces with his addiction is something that's a bit more tangible and relatable to the audience. Unless y'all are seeing like matching twins down hallways because then like call me up because I gotta know your story. While I've never experienced addiction, I've witnessed people in my life who have battled it and it's really scary. <laughs> Getting clean isn't the end. Now you've gotta stay clean. It's not something that you can just lock away and ignore, which I feel the movie did a really great job illustrating. Is the movie perfect? No, it was lengthy and sometimes the pacing felt a little slow for me, but by the end, you realize it was deliberate and a good movie doesn't always deal with constant action. In fact, sometimes a movie can take place in a single room for the majority of the movie and be absolutely riveting. Take Geraldine, another Mike Flanagan stab at a Stephen King novel with the same title. This 2017 film stars Carla Gugino, who I recognized from Hill House, as Jessie, a woman who accidentally kills her husband Gerald, played by Bruce Greenwood, during a kinky sex game, leaving her handcuffed to the rails of her bed in a remote vacation home. With help seeming impossible, Jessie is forced to fight her way out of what seems like an absolutely hopeless situation. However, keeping her company are hallucinations of a more confident version of herself and Gerald, mimicking the angel and devil dynamic. Literally, nothing really happens in this movie, but like, at the same time, so much happens. Like, good lord, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I, I definitely would say it's more of a psychological thriller than anything, but really it was still terrifying. Every moment was deliberate and once again, I, rather than resorting to cheap scares, Flanagan lets the reality of the situation be scary enough. First, Jessie's having a deal with the fact that she literally just killed her husband, albeit accidentally. Second, she is handcuffed to a bed and there is literally no one to help her. Third, and I trigger warn here, uh, this will touch on sexual abuse, but the third is sexual abuse. Not only does her husband attempt to rape her, but you learn that her father was quite handsy himself. The handcuffs you learn are a physical symbol of the many things shackling our Jessie. Similar to Danny, Jessie had buried her past away and, and totally understandably. Yet once again, we are presented the idea that our monsters can only be locked away or faced and defeated. Gerald's game definitely has more gore that can cause you to do the whole looking through your fingers thing, uh, while Dr. Sleep has some absolutely horrific acts that can cause someone to turn the TV off. But again, I think for someone just starting watching out horror, I'd say that they're a really great place to keep allowing yourself to continue exploring horror. What really stuck out to me was how Mike Flanagan finds amazing actors, and they're actors he loves to work with. I mean, I found myself pointing to the screen so excited to see all the familiar faces in both Dr. Sleep and Gerald's game. And as I pulled up his IMDb, I saw that he frequently works with familiar faces. So next episode, I'll talk about the next two Mike Flanagan movies I watched, Ouija, Origin of Evil, and Hush. Till then, stay cool.